Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Cancer Show. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Zachary, a 14-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we are your hosts for The Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because The Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, Stupid Lung Cancer. In the Advocate Spotlight, Megan Rogers, bereaved young adult cancer advocate and president of the National Collegiate Cancer Foundation. Kay Co-Francesco, Director of Advocacy Relations at the Lung Cancer Alliance. And Beth Stern, Executive Director of Longevity Foundation. As a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation online at i2y.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another funful and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show where remission is not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. All righty, now it is time to please welcome our chief cancer anarchist and vice president of grassroots programming, Jack Buffard. Good evening, Lisa. Good evening, Matthew. Hello, Jack Buffard. How are you? Jack will be monitoring our live interactive concurrent chat room, so if you have any questions for our guests along the way, let them know. We'll do our best to get them answered. How is everybody? How is everybody? Everybody's great. I'm great, Matthew. How are you? And who's not here tonight? With us in spirit. Not yes. here tonight, unfortunately, but no. maybe she's listening. I'm going to see her tomorrow. Yes. Our fabulous Young Adult Survivor Broadcast Assistant, Amanda Freeman. I'm so looking forward to seeing her tomorrow. She is a rock star. Totally. If there's a bassoonist that's a rock star, it's Amanda. <laughs> it is Amanda Freeman, that is for sure. She uh, she had her surgery. She's yep. out of the woods. She's doing great. Doctors yep. say she's making a great recovery, home resting, and we send her all our love. Lots yes, of love. Lots and lots of love. Love you, Zesty. 
I'll just keep my arms wrapped around her tomorrow for the three of us. Yes, when please I do. Here. Okay. Uh-huh. She'll probably fit you wrap your arms three times <laughs> around like, her. She'll say, get the hell off me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's, I hear that a lot, too, so don't feel bad. Uh, about it. There we go. That was the official start to the show. That yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we have a, uh, some in-studio guests tonight. Obviously, uh, Aaron Eloise, our new uh, vice president of outreach. E.E. E.E. We have uh, Kenny Kane, our VP of operations, is in studio tonight. The ginger. And uh, Danny and Sunil, whose last names I can't remember, even though they told them to me. Uh, and they're probably have lots of syllables, so I'm going to avoid pretending I know who you are. But welcome to the radio show, gentlemen. It's good to see you again. Thank you. you lean into the mic and actually yeah, There's tell a us microphone th- on the desk for us to hear how wonderful your voice and is. And you should tell us your full last names. Yes. <laughs> well, my name is Danny Baryev. Baryev. And I'm Sinocio Parson. Gesundheit. Sinocio Parson. I was diagnosed with Sinocio Parson. <laughs> and they gave, me, they gave me penicillin and gasoline, and I've been fine ever since 2008. Gasoline, that explains it. Yeah. Yes. They told me to sniff that while following the penicillin. Mm. Danny and Sunil are members of the uh, New York City uh, uh, Planning Committee, and they're helping us organize a uh, stupid cancer bar crawl, perhaps, this fall, which we're extremely excited about. Um, and we're launching a very teaser campaign for it. Many of you have seen that online. Um, but very cool stuff. Welcome aboard, gentlemen. Is this your first time here for the show? Sunil's been second here. Time. Yeah. Oh, second time. All right, returning champion, Sunil. And Danny's Definitely. being divergenized. Uh-oh. <laughs> Stay away from Jack. You know, we were going to talk about a couple of things, but I realized the one thing we need to talk about is the Gucci, 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 Gucci. event. That was fun. Yes, for those of you out there that may have seen some of the stuff on the internets about this, uh, the Gucci. Well, 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 we have to back up a little bit. His grandfather, I believe, started Gucci. He did. And yeah, he, 1905. And he now, this is Giorgio Gucci, I believe, Correct. is the yeah. one that we met. And he started, this Giorgio, I believe, sold out his shares and is no longer a part of the brand. Okay. But... He's got some money in the bank, presumably, and he's making his own cognacs, and he yes. was the center of attention at this uh, fancy red carpet affair that we uh, actually found a few clothes to throw on, some, some, some nice ones. Right, and how anyway. it worked, folks, out there is that this was a, a it was not a charitable event, per se. It was more of a launch party, if you mm-hmm. would, but the organizers decided to, de- to donate um, 12 or 15 tables to various different nonprofit organizations around the country, and we were selected. So I got to pick ten of my favorite people, uh, and then eight bailed. So I had to pick eight <laughs> s- sloppy seconds to follow up. And uh, we—I uh, was not one of the people who bailed. <laughs> yeah. I was really and ready to go. We cleaned up nice, and uh, we had a great time. The ten of us—we met a lot of people, and um, and some real housewives. And some uh, yeah, the That's housewives right. of New Jersey, were, New York were there. They were. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I mean, I guess I said hi to a couple of them, but I didn't know who the heck they were. But this was certainly the foo-fooiest event I've ever been to. Is that right? And the food was really good, though. The food yeah, was awesome. I've, I've been to a lot of foo-foo events. Well, you've been, you in lived my, in entertainment I lived, and media. I lived in foo-foo land. Yeah, you're foo-foo media. I lived in foo-foo land for 20 years. Yes. I'm actually happy not to be in foo-foo land so yes, much anymore. Enough. Totally fair but this was But this was great, because I got to be with my pals and the people... Uh, my new I2I fam, relatively new I2I family. Yeah, I mean, our... So it made a foo-foo event um, much more fun. Right, and fun special thanks to uh, Kelly Madigan and Kate Donat for oh, last yeah. minute filling in for us. They were and, a blast uh, to have with they us. Were and thanks to Danny Gennarelli for, for being um, sort of my date for the night uh, because uh, Jess couldn't make it. 
And hello to my Jess if she's she's not in the chat room, but hello. And Erin Eloise was the bell of the ball. She was. She she worked the room like nobody's business, and uh, she had her photo taken with Gucci. Everyone thought Matthew. she was one of the celebrities there. Yeah. She, her. But they didn't think she was a, a real housewife of New York. No, 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 no. She hasn't had that much plastic surgery yet. Yet. Yeah, and I felt really out of place not having had any plastic surgery. <laughs> but with Lisa on my arm, I knew nobody was looking at me anyway. Yeah, there you go. Well said. I wasn't on your arm. That gets but one that... of these. Okay, you were in the room with me. Same thing. Crickets. <laughs> and that's oh, what Matthew. happens when Jack talks. <laughs> right on the sound effects, Matthew. Yes. Cut well, good. I do what I can. It's He's got good. a jack button. <laughs> you know, did you know this for the for the entire first for all like all of 2008 after I met Jack and he started listening to the chat and was in the chat. Whenever I got sick on the show and I coughed, he would like physically type the word cough into the or chat or hack or hack. It was like a hack chat. button. Yeah, exactly. Well right. done. When you Thank said you. That, when you said there was a jack button, I was hoping maybe there was an eject button in his chair. No, this is this is the jack button. That's the jack button. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's Jack the ringtone. When, when I call my parents' house, that's the ringtone that plays. <laughs> no, nope. sorry, Matthew. No, I was going to say the other news of the week is that I went to San Antonio with the fabulous John Filbert, who is a member of our executive committee of the board of directors, and he and I uh, sort of tore the town a new one of stupid cancer, and uh, <laughs> we, we may have a new chapter. That's your official board of directors speak. That's good. Tore the town a new one. Yep, of, yep. of stupid Nicely cancer. Nicely done. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, but I got to go to the Riverwalk, if anyone's ever been <laughs> to a, San Antonio. Black tie, oh, that's nice. For a black tie affair to tour the town a new one. Yep. <laughs> you went from tux, me and a tuxedo to Filbert in San Antonio. <laughs> I did. I did. We had a great time. There was an oncology conference and a tweet-up. I met a lot of great people, a lot of good doctors, and including some of our own OMG speakers, Sage Bolte, Karen Albritton, Archie Blyer, and um, uh, Kelly Craddock and from Live Strong. Kelly Craddock from the Live Strong Young of the Alliance was there. So uh, really a uh, good event, nice trip, easy back and forth. and um, In the rain. In, in the, and my travel curse returned. Yeah, not so easy. No. Well, not easy getting there. It's always easy getting home. Leaving right. New York is always the stress of the universe. Which is why, for the most part, we always go the day before, when wow. it doesn't matter. Got it. But you having two twins at home, that's a little more difficult. I have twins? Um, according to <laughs> Facebook and everything that you posted online, yes. And a happy five-month birthday to my children, Kobe and Hannah. Kobe and Hannah. Yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yes. Happy well, happy Monday or happy, whatever. Happy Monday, right. How many photos for each month? I've collected on iPhoto 1,625 photos, and I just checked about an hour ago. Good God. And about 40 videos. So multiply that in like five-month increments until the age of 18. <laughs> These poor children. I their know. entire lives documented for the world to see. They have the Truman Show. Yeah. Jeez. They're totally the Truman Show. They're going to hate me when they're about eight, but that's okay. I'll wait till then. I say Six? Six. All right, well, when they're six, I'll be 42 and I won't care. Okay. So. And Lisa, that'll make you what? 107. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get right to our first guest tonight. Very, very excited to have you. Okay, folks, not only is Megan Rogers my friend, but she's also the president of the National Collegiate Cancer Foundation, which was founded by her fiancé, Dan Wager. Dan succumbed to stage 4 NSC lung cancer in 2009 at the age of 27. 
Since that time, Megan has advocated for the young adult and lung cancer communities in his honor. And it is my esteemed pleasure to welcome my friend Megan Rogers to the show. Hi, Megan. Hi, Megan. Hi, everyone. Hi, Megan. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you guys? I haven't seen you in quite a while. Are you going to the um, the meeting in November? Trying to swing it. Trying to swing it. We'll see. You know, I've got a I got a full time job too, and we kind of do the uh, I do the uh, advocacy stuff on the side, although it's kind of like a second full time job. So trying to trying to swing both of those. So tell everybody hopefully. what the meeting is, Matthew. Oh yeah. The, well, we mentioned this before briefly. The Live Strong Young Adult Alliance is a consortium or collaboration or a hodgepodge, if you would, a professional hodgepodge, if I might say, of all sorts of national cancer organizations, mostly young adult-themed, who get together in Austin once a year to discuss and collaborate and plan future opportunities to raise awareness for the cause. How's that sound? Good job. That sounds good. All right, there we go. Um, but I, we're having a Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in Washington on October 12th? 12th. No, next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Right. Yeah, that's the 12th. Right, that's what I'm saying, Tuesday the 12th. Tuesday the 12th. I'm not arguing Tuesday. with you. <laughs> Pay attention. And sorry, I don't Megan. know if, if you're available, but I think we're sending a crew down there in addition to our new D.C. crew who'd love to have you. Yeah, well, only if Jack is coming. I am, and I'm bringing two gingers with me. In uh, fact, Aaron, <laughs> Eloise, and Kenny are, and I are going to pile up in my car and drive down to D.C., go to the happy hour, but we will not be in tuxedos. No, no tuxedos this time. Designated driver. So Fantastic. So let's get started here. I mean, I knew Dan uh, personally. I've known him for, for I knew him for for a very long time, and um, I met you through him, of course, and you met Jack through us. Why don't yep. you tell us a little bit about about Dan? Uh, sure. So um, I was engaged to Dan, great, wonderful guy. Um, I actually met him after he had been diagnosed with lung cancer. Um, he was, I think, he was about two years into. Um, his diagnosis of non-small cell lung cancer when we met uh, in May of 2007. But um, just a little background on basically how he was diagnosed. He was 22 and a grad student up at Wagner College in New York. And during the spring semester of his first year of grad school, he started to develop a persistent cough and become short of breath while walking across campus and went to the, you know, health center and met with the nurse and was promptly dismissed with allergy medicine. And so it persisted on for about a month, and after about a month he finished up his exams and drove home and drove himself right to the hospital where he was um, admitted, and they found a liter and a half of fluid around his heart. And um, about, you know, a week later they told him that he had cancer. Um, at that time, he they didn't know what type of cancer he had, so... He was cancer of an unknown primary, but they treated it like lung cancer, lung cancer because of you know the presence of multiple uh, spots on his lungs, and uh, so he was you know put on this sort of standard regimes of treatment um, for lung cancer at that time, and did okay. You know, I mean, I think in retrospect, with the sort of status and the state of his diagnosis, statistically, he probably should have passed away within three months. <clears throat> Excuse me, but he was you know 22 years old training for a marathon, a non-smoker, no family history of cancer. So obviously the diagnosis was a big shock, and I don't, and obviously they didn't really know it was lung cancer at that time. But um, So he finished up grad school. He commuted down to Johns Hopkins every three weeks for treatment from Upper State New York. And after he finished grad school, he decided that 
if he was going to sit around and think about cancer every day, he might as well do something about it full-time. So he took a job with a great organization called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship in Silver Spring. Uh, and I know Ann Willis has been a guest on your show. I heard her on uh, on your show. Um, and who? While he was... Uh, Ann Willis. Willis. I have no idea who you're talking about. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. We love Ann. <laughs> <laughs> She's a very good friend. Her. Congratulations. She just finished the half full try yesterday in honor of young adult cancer survivors for the Omen Fund, so we're very proud of her. Good for Ann. Anyways, I digress. Um, but, yeah, so he worked there. Uh, he was director of development for, for them. And on the side, he founded the National... Collegiate Cancer Foundation, which I now run, because he was a, as I mentioned, a grad student when he was diagnosed with cancer. And at the time, I, I guess like a lot of young adults, um, when he was diagnosed, he didn't know anybody with cancer. He certainly didn't know anybody his own age. And he was lucky in that he had health insurance. He had a great uh, support system through family and friends and also through the school. And so when people offered to give him money, he wanted to turn around and give it to others. So he worked full-time as a cancer advocate uh, cancer advocate, and also ran NCCF on the side. And so that was what he was doing when I met him in 2007. Um, you know, people always ask me, like, well, what did he look like? You know, did you know that he had cancer when, when I met him? Like, uh, you know, couldn't tell, really. <laughs> I know public, a lot of people are, are probably surprised by that. But um, at that time, he was on uh, targeted therapy and getting treatment every three weeks on a Friday and going back to work full-time um, Monday through Friday right after that. So, you know, the first year that we knew each other, we fell in love, got engaged, um, had a pretty normal and fantastic relationship. And about a couple months after we got engaged, he um, the cancer had spread to his liver, and so he started a much more aggressive um, treatment at that point. And, um, you know, he battled really hard. I think he, you know, outlived probably his prognosis by hundreds of times of what people thought, you know, thought he would, but anybody that knew Dan and knew him and knew his spirit, um, you know, was never surprised. And so, unfortunately, lost him in March of 2009. But since then, um, you know, I've definitely taken up his cause and his passion, you know, on his behalf, and, and really not only myself, but all of his family and friends and former coworkers, you know, so many people of the lives that Dan touched um, have, been, have been involved in his foundation and really, you know, turned it into a success. And we're very proud to say that we, through the National Collegiate Cancer Foundation, um, we've distributed over $50,000 to young adult cancer survivors um, awesome. to help them and support their educational pursuits. So we're really, really excited. And, you know, again, it, that was just started out, out of Dan's passion and, you know, and desire to give something back to the young adult community. So, Megan, we should men mention the website and perhaps Jack can uh throw this up in the chat room as well so folks can see, collegiatecancer.org, correct? Yes, you got and, it. And yep. tell us that how uh, folks can get involved uh, with, you know, getting a, um, a th uh, hello, Matthew, give me the word. Uh, the, how they grant. go about applying yeah, for assistance? They, yeah. We yeah. need so, money. Yes, exactly, money. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> needs money. Well, I think that, yeah, um, you know, our, our scholarship program is open to anyone between the ages of 18 and uh, 39 um, who are, you know, former cancer survivors, cancer survivors, doesn't matter if you're currently being treated or not, doesn't matter if you're a college student, you're going to a trade school, graduate student, you know, we've given out awards to all types of people. But we have one scholarship cycle um, every year, and that usually starts in February and March of every year. We start taking applications, and then... You know, we get several hundred. We are a national organization, so we do, you know, give out money to anybody, you know, regardless of what state you live in, 
what diagnosis, but it's a pretty straightforward um, procedure. You can find all the information, as you mentioned, at um, collegiatecancer.org, walk through everything. But basically, um, you know, we just, we fill out an application. We love to, we want to hear people's stories of cancer survivorship um, and, and in their own words. And, you know, we are always constantly <laughs> struggling because we can always probably give out 25 awards a year. Um, and we're always trying to raise a lot more money and a lot more awareness. So. So, uh, Megan, what does Dan's diagnosis of lung cancer as a young man non-smoker say to the world? Um, I, I mean, I think basically, you know, it's, it's that young adults get this disease. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I know, uh, uh, you know, having been obviously very familiar with I2Y and, and your platform, you know, one of the reasons why it really resonates with me doubly is that, you know, a lot of times people don't think that young adults get cancer at all. And you compound the fact with, you know, you have somebody who has a lung cancer diagnosis and a stage four diagnosis that, unfortunately, for many and for most people, is not a survivable disease. Um, you know, it comes as a real shock. You know, when I would, when I tell people, you know, about my story, about Dan's story, you know, the first question that we get was, was he a smoker? And I was like, oh no, he was diagnosed when he was 22. So unless he was you know, sitting in the closet from the age of 15, I doubt that he would, even if he had been a smoker, you know, have enough exposure to that to, you know, have really, I think, created a risk factor for him. But, you know, he was an athlete. His family, were, they were all non-smokers. You know, they lived a great lifestyle. So it was, you know, it was it came as a complete shock to him, I think, when he was diagnosed, as it comes to a lot of people when I share his story, because like, people just aren't really aware of the fact that young people get this disease. And unfortunately... You know, there's there there are not that many survivors, and um, it's a really sad it's a really kind of sad situation. You know, um, we always used to say that we have always would have loved to have an oppor- you know more opportunities to go out and sort of celebrate survivorship, but you know, unfortunately, in in my experience, since I've become involved in the advocacy work, you know, all of the young people that I know in the four years that I've been you know five years that I've been closely involved in this. You know, everybody's passed away and passed away in a very, very short amount of time. So it's a very swift and cruel disease. And unfortunately, it's a disease that comes with a lot of stigma attached to it. And that's, I think, one of the major issues that and hurdles that we've got to get over in, in addressing this disease. Because everybody goes for the knee-jerk smoker right. label. And, you know, right. And, I'll, I'll, I will defer the statistics to uh, to the guests who are wonderful uh, later on in the program, but you know, I'm, I'm sure that they'll tell you that more and more young adults are getting this disease, especially women. You know, more and more non-smokers are getting the disease. And, um, you know, it's it's amazing, especially in today's society, that, you know, there, there just isn't more being done. And it, it is really a sad thing to have a disease, you know, have and have a type of cancer that people think that you bring, up, bring it upon yourself. I mean, there's yeah. really, it's really unforgivable. Um, and especially in the way is, you know, especially in the way of, there is really a, the lack of that joy of survivorship a lot of times, because people don't survive the disease. And when you tell them, you know, my fiance passed away of lung cancer, the immediate reaction is that he must have been a smoker and therefore must have brought it on himself. It's horrible to have that stigma attached to it. I'm so curious to talk to our our, our guests coming up about uh, environmental issues. Is that ever something that you guys have looked into in in relation to Dan? I mean, we, um, you know, we were very fortunate um, that we had, you know, at our at our fingertips a lot of resources. I think that most people don't 
don't have because of the nature of Dan's job. You know, he worked in a cancer survivorship organization, so we talked to everybody um, that we could talk to. Um, and, you know, there were there was really no, there were no immediate environmental factors um, that anybody could really think of. So there really wasn't, you know, anything that, that really could have been explained um, other than something that potentially was silent that nobody was really aware of. So, you know, I mean, that was, and I think that was one of the amazing things if you, you know, knew Dan and knew his spirit is that he never asked why. He never felt sorry for himself, um, you know, although I think a lot of people would have said, you know, if he had anything but lung cancer, you know, he would have had three runs chemo been done, but that was never... You know, Dan's attitude about the disease, it was always about, you know, trying to change people's perception and raise awareness. Well, hopefully, too, what in addition to to, to Dan and, and his, his legacy, legacy and what you do, Megan, on a on a sort of celebrity national spotlight, I was, you know, hoping that people would get that message when Dana Reeves died of lung cancer, who was, you know, 40, I think she was about 45, but yeah. somebody right. who ate healthy and did yoga and didn't smoke and did sort of was this model of, right. of sort of healthy living, and I think that was a big shocker when when she was diagnosed. And, um, you know, hopefully, to, you know, to your point, really right. made an awareness out there that this disease, um, you know, <laughs> does not discriminate. I mean, it, 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 you don't have to be a smoker to be hit with this awful disease. Yeah, and I think once you start talking to, you know, people who aren't like us, who don't deal and think about cancer every day and aren't, you know, more aware of, um, funded national and federal funding and all and all of those issues. When you actually sit down and say, explain the statistics and the you know the the death rates in lung cancer and the lack of federal funding. I mean, people are shocked and they want you know they're like, well, if it's killing this many people, why isn't there you know more being done about it? And you know that's the the thing that you know organizations like the Lung Cancer Alliance and Longevity. It's about raising. It is really about raising that awareness level because I honestly think that once people start to realize this and more and more people are getting this disease as otherwise healthy young adults, adults, non-smokers, you know, with no, with, with no, none of the quote-unquote normal risk factors, I think hopefully we'll see that tide start to change. Well, I'm I, so grateful for you to be on the show. We, we unfortunately have a whole slew of young adult lung cancer survivors who Made it and didn't make it. Uh, my question to you, actually, we also do lots of shows about you know bereaved caregivers, uh, yes. young adults bereaved caregivers, and I think that the, the whole point of caregiving is sort of cast aside so frequently. Um, mm-hmm. We um, <clears throat> we're probably bringing some, we're bringing someone on our board who is herself uh, a bereaved young adult, um, and uh, we did a show probably I don't know maybe was it this season last season. No, it was like uh, we did a, it was a couple months ago. We did a show a couple months ago on bereavement, but we also just, when we had Lisa Niemi, Patrick Swayze's right. uh, exactly. wife on last mm-hmm. week, she was talking about how there's so much literature out there for the patient, right. but almost nothing for the caregiver. Yeah. Right. Did you find that, Megan? Um, yeah, and I mean, again, it, for the caregiver, and then talk about being a young adult. I mean, there's, you know, a whole host of issues, I think, that, you know, when, when somebody's elderly and gets sick, you know, they have adult children, there's other adults around who, there's a whole different type of support system. Um, you know, when Dan got to the end of his life, you know, we we made the decision that he we wanted him to be at home hospice, we wanted to be at home, and, you know, we're always very fortunate that he never was very, he was never hospitalized for an ex- extended period of time, but, you know, when we brought him home, it was him and I. And, uh, you know, I'm 
I'm, I'm have, don't have any nursing experience or anything like that. And, you know, it was a real shock that when the hospice, you know, staff, who were all very wonderful, you know, came in, they didn't necessarily know have, how to address the needs of uh, our needs as, you know, people who are young and especially myself as somebody who, you know, fortunately I wasn't working at that time and I was there 24 hours and had enough energy and resources and the wherewithal to be able to take care of a lot of the things myself. But, you know, it was it was the first time in my life I had ever gone through that and I didn't really find that hospice was particularly... I wouldn't say that they were unhelpful, but they, you know, they didn't know how to speak a language that I could understand. You know, I didn't want somebody to come and talk to me in whispers and hushed tones. Like, I needed to get stuff done, and I needed somebody to tell me how to do it. And uh, it was like, you know, I w- they had never really seen somebody, you know, our situation, you know, two people so young. And I think it actually threw them for a loop. But, yeah, I mean. How old are you, you know, Megan? I'm, uh, I'm in my mid-30s. Yeah. I don't give my age. Come on. <laughs> as in my mid-30s. For a little mid-30s. Megan, i got a question yeah. for you. Um, yeah. as, as someone who is as young as you are, what do you think of the term caregiver? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, that's another thing. You know, I mean, I, I, I feel like caregiver always made me sound kind of old. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, I think you're doing you're you're doing a whole lot more than, you know, being a caregiver. So, I, you know. I always just thought it was your, I always, I guess we always look at it as like, you know, you're a co-survivor. You know, you go through something like I went through, watching the person that you love, you know, basically dying in front of your eyes and, you know, helping them fulfill the last, their last wish, wishes to, you know, leave this world as peacefully and as painlessly as possible. You know, you're, you're right there surviving something equally as terrifying and horrible emotionally. Obviously, you're not, probably not going through the physical pain that that person is going through. But, you know, I always kind of like to look at it as, you know, you are, you're, as, you're more than a caregiver. You're a co-survivor. So. Yep, very true. Well, we're unfortunately out of time, but it was so meaningful to have you on the show, you know, making sure that people are aware, yes, lung cancer is a young adult disease now and the stigma about it and that people do pass away and lose their lives to it. But at the end of the day, what matters most is that you're here to spread his message, and I hate the euphemism, but you're making lemonade out of lemons, and the Collegiate Cancer Foundation is still changing lives every day. Yep, and uh, if it wasn't for Dan, I wouldn't know you guys, and I wouldn't have a whole host of you know friends and family and wouldn't have this mission to go through life supporting. So it's, it's a real honor and a pleasure. So thanks for having well, me on your show. All right. Thank you, Megan, so much. I hope to see you in November, but you'll see Jack next week. Definitely. Take care. All right. right. Megan Rogers, everybody. And Matt, I just want to point out that uh, Dan's mom is in the chat room, so we just want to send Mrs. Wager a hello. Hello, Mrs. Wager. Your son was an extraordinary young man. I had the privilege of knowing him and getting acquainted. Great guy. We'll be sadly missed. Oh, that's nice that she's in the chat room. All right. Real quick, let's get to the collegiatecancer.org. Amazing organization. So let's quickly uh, get to the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All righty, during this part of the stupid cancer show, we listen to Jack Buffard stammer through a series of special announcements to let our listeners know about a whole bunch of stuff that we want you to know about. Free stuff. Free young adult stuff like conferences, happy hours, retreats, scholarships, support groups, concerts, and more. If you have something that coming up that you'd like to hear us broadcast during this segment, please send it to us, and we'll do what we can to get it out there. 
Email Jack Bufard at Jack at I2Y.com. That's Jack at I2Y.com. All right, folks, here's your Super Cancer News. First stop, events.i2y.com. Events.i2y.com is your one-stop shop for all Super Cancer events happening nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out on it, especially if I'm not going to be there. All right, folks, the updated numbers. There are nine slots left for Team Stupid Cancer, the nation's first running team exclusively supporting young adults. We have nine slots left, so if you or anybody you know are interested in running the New York City Half Marathon on our behalf, visit team.stupidcancer.com. And if you would like to support the Young Too Young for the Cancer Foundation by making a donation for your favorite runner, head on over to team.stupidcancer.com. All right, folks, being that I lack both the time and the intelligence to share with you all the great stuff we have going on for young adults, I've created the Boof News blog. Everyone needs to check out boofnews.i2y.com. That's B-O-O-F.i2y.com for the official list of all stupid cancer news resources. These include surveys, exercise programs, writing workshops, peer services, and fertility resources. I just added a new event today from the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. They are offering their second webcast for young adult cancer survivors called Getting the Answers You Need, Fatigue and Other Cancer Treatment Side Effects. This live webcast is happening Wednesday, October 20th. So head on over to boofnews.i2y.com and get all the information on that. And that, my friends, is your Stupid Cancer News. Yay! Yeah. That webcast is really awesome. It is. It is. Uh, we would encourage. And it's, it's the, just so quick before we get to Kay, the this leukemia and lymphoma stuff is not blood cancer specific. It's for any young adult with any right. cancer. And I'm very excited that we've worked with them in a way that they are developing, delivering, and producing these programs for all young adults, even though they're leukemia and lymphoma society. So check it out, folks. Yeah, it's really great. All the information is on the Booth News blog. All right, and now. Kay Francesco holds a BA in biology from the University of Delaware. She joined the Lung Cancer Alliance in November of 2004 as a program specialist and is now the director of advocacy relations. Kay works with LCA advocates across the country and remains a point of contact for those interested in becoming involved in advocacy and raising awareness for lung cancer. She also works with media outlets, communications teams, and other organizations across the country to provide the general public with the most up-to-date information about lung cancer and LCA. Please give a stupid cancer welcome to Kay Co-Francesco. Nice Italian name. Hello, Kay. Hi, guys. How are you? How are you? Good, good. We're Thank really so excited to have you on the show. On. Oh, it's our yeah. pleasure. It's our pleasure. Good to be here. <laughs> Some might say you lost a bet, but we're happy to have you. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So we're here to talk about lung cancer. It's a taboo topic. It's stigmatized. It's still something in this country that has a horrible survival rate. And as a young adult organization, it's now impacting my people and non-smokers. And where are we at? Tell us about the uh, what you guys are doing at the Lung Cancer Foundation, the Lung Cancer Alliance, I'm sorry, and uh, how we can talk about this. What's going on? Well, um Lung Cancer Alliance, just briefly, half of what we do is patient support. So we work with those impacted by lung cancer and provide information, support services, referrals, et cetera. And then the other half is that that advocacy and awareness piece because, like you touched on, um, 
This disease is very stigmatized. It is a blame the victim disease. Many people, um, you know, their first instinct when they hear someone, who, you know, oh, my, my father or my brother has lung cancer, and the first question out of their mouths is, oh, well, did he smoke? And, um, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, as we've demonized tobacco companies, Unfortunately, then we've demonized the smoker. So there is that stigma, and it's pervasive. It is through the medical profession as well as, you know, and sometimes the cancer community, and that's an unfortunate thing that, that lung cancer patients have to deal with. So what we try and do is share the facts about the disease and show the true face of the disease um, in that, you know, and say that no one deserves it. I mean, for example, I know that you just had on Meg and, and I was fortunate enough to, to know Dan, and now I've gotten to know Meg quite well. And, you know, you can't look at, at Dan or anyone impacted by the disease and say he or she deserved it, whether they smoked or not. It's a disease. So we're, we're trying to bring that awareness to the general public and, um, and make it okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk about having lung cancer or wanting to change, you know, the, the survival statistics. Kay, do you have any numbers on young adults with lung cancer? I mean, as Matthew was saying, it just seems like we're hearing more and more stories of folks who are in their early 20s, in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s, no family history, no nothing, and are getting this disease. What's, what's happening with that? Well, there aren't really any kind of hard and fast numbers, and, you know, it's still, even though we're seeing kind of an increase, I think that is a testament to the fact that, especially within the young adult community, um, we've been raised to speak out about issues. So when you're hearing the stories of those, those young adults with lung cancer, they're speaking out more about it, but they still remain the outliers. I mean, that is an exception to the rule um, when it comes to lung cancer. So we're fortunate enough to have relationships with with these young adults, but there still isn't really any kind of hard or fast number. It just seems like there's so many because they are coming out and we are, you know, through through your organization and Lung Cancer Alliance, we are, in, you know, interacting with them and trying to help them. And what, what specific direct patient services do you offer? And do you, do you see a lot of young adults coming to your organization? Um, we have probably the most um, the two services where we see the most, um, that are used most often by young adults would be our Phone Buddy program, and it's a peer-to-peer support program where we match survivors or caregivers with another survivor or a caregiver who is recently diagnosed, and they have similar diagnoses, ages, that kind of thing. Um, so when someone young is diagnosed, you know, they want to talk to someone else because <clears throat> who is, you know, their age because, you know, with lung cancer, the young adult community is, like I said, an outlier. So to talk to a 70-year-old diagnosed with lung cancer is different than if you're 24. So we try and match people of similar ages. And then there's our clinical trials matching service because I'm sorry to say there still are so few treatment options for lung cancer, although they are increasing. Um, a lot of treatment options involve getting into a clinical trial, so we provide that matching service um, for those patients. If I could ask you a quick question on that, I mean, it's, it's sort of a dovetail, not separate, but it's totally related. 
you know, clinical trial enrollment in young adults is at 3%, in adults at 6%, in children it's at 80%. So, you know, the larger uh, question here is um, should we change the name of clinical trials to something more sexy? You know, is, is it something, because there's a, such a stigma around what clinical trials are, people think they're getting placebos, people right. think that they're guinea pigs. Um, it, it's Again, it's sort of a related conversation, but does that apply to lung cancer as well? Um, you know, I don't know if changing the name from clinical trials to something else would, would do the trick, but with lung cancer, the enrollment rate is even less than average, than the, you know, the general average. So there is a problem, and I think we as, you know, organizations, you know, trying to support the cancer community need to maybe change the way we communicate about clinical trials. I think that we think as an organization that physicians um, overburdened, clearly, you know, with so many patients, oncologists, we need to do a better job of getting them information so that they can present it to their patients as a viable treatment option from diagnosis. Because you're right, there is that stigma even with the trials that you're going to get a placebo or that it's a last resort. You know, I'm not going to get into a clinical trial until I don't have any options left. And so <clears throat> I think it's, it's an education process for the cancer community as well as those oncologists to make sure that we're getting the right information out so people know that it's a viable treatment option and understand what it means um, and that ethically you're not going to get a placebo ever. That just doesn't happen. So, Kay, I see on your website that there's a report uh, of women in lung cancer, and I think that this is an illness that people still think <laughs> tends to be more men. What does that uh, women in lung cancer report say? Well, it's, um, it's a report that Lung Cancer Alliance worked on with um, the Connor Center out of Brigham and Women's hospital in Boston, and basically it combines all of the information discussed that we know to this point in terms of sex differences and things like that um, for lung cancer. And we know that in 1987, lung cancer surpassed breast cancer as the leading cause of cancer death for women. Right. And so, you know, the trend had been that men, more men were getting lung cancer, but as you know, cancer still, in, at least in lung cancer, is typically a disease of aging. So as women are coming in, the baby boomers are coming online. You think about all the women who smoked in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And now, so the numbers in women are increasing. And alarmingly so in younger women. Wow. In their late 30s, early 40s, who have never smoked. Really? Mm-hmm. Late 30s, early 40s, the numbers are alarming for women who have never smoked. Mm-hmm. And when, there's no, is there any science around this? Like, is it, is oh. it Pledge or Pepsi or Carpet Fresh or, um, I don't know, drain Candy cigarettes that we yeah. used to blow the sugar out of? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, because I just lost like nine sponsors, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, lung cancer is one of the least funded of all major diseases, so unfortunately we don't have those hard and fast answers. But what... Mm. You know, there are some studies that indicate that it could be a, a factor of estrogen and the way um, estrogen in, in a woman's body metabolizes carcinogens differently, you know, and therefore, you know, something turns into a lung cancer that wouldn't necessarily in a man. Um, but we just simply don't have the answers because we don't have kind of that political voice 
coming together, that activism for the disease that um, that leads to increased public health funding and a sense of urgency and a comprehensive plan to address it. So we don't okay, unfortunately have the, the answers. I'm going to come back to that environmental question again. I ask all our guests tonight. Stuff like, you know, you hear radon causes lung cancer, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't get a granite countertop in your kitchen because it gives off radon. I mean, I have a radon remediation pipe in my house. hear this a lot, linking radon, uh, which is everywhere, to lung mm-hmm. cancer. Any thoughts on that? Um, radon is is estimated to be the second leading cause of lung cancer. Huh, it and, is, yeah. Yes. And so it's very you know, a very small number, but still too many nonetheless. Um, so I think if, if there is a concern, we direct at Lung Cancer Alliance, we direct everyone to the um, EPA website. They do a really great job discussing radon and the risks for radon, how to know if perhaps your your house or where you live could have elevated rates and then where to go to get it tested. If you so, live around a lot of rocks, <laughs> if yeah. there's rocks buried under the ground, yeah, uh, that's... <laughs> Get get radon test. Yeah, it's how reliable is radon testing? I think it's. Um, I don't. I don't actually. Reliable. I can't answer that. <laughs> I mean, there. If you go to the the Environmental Protection Agency website, they will have. Um, they will. They will be able to kind of touch on all of that. I unfortunately just don't know enough about that to answer it accurately for you guys. We won't have granite countertop sponsors for the show either. Okay. Rip out your granite countertops, people. We just just (laughs) lost the Flintstones. (laughs) Oh, and a happy 50th anniversary, Fred and Wilma. What? The Flintstones celebrated their 50th anniversary last week. Yay, Jack's contributing to a relevant conversation. No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yabba dabba suck. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, anyway, back to lung cancer. Yeah. (laughs) And radon. I see here on your website that you have some advocacy and legislative prowess. Are you on the Hill? Do you lobby or you just encourage uh, sort of crowdsourced action? We are not a lobbying organization, but we are based in Washington, D.C., and so we do educate and and, um, advocate and just go into um, members of Congress's offices, public health agencies, and educate them to the statistics surrounding the disease, the trends that, you know, are likely to continue. Even as we see a decrease in smoking, lung cancer will still remain the leading cause of cancer death. Um, And we urge them to put together a comprehensive plan to address it, no different than they have for any other major cancer. So that's what we're doing here in D.C., and we have chapters across the country who are pursuing that same course of action with their state legislators. I guess this is a question I have to ask, just for the sake of, of argument, yeah. is uh, how many people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year? Uh, roughly about 215,000. And what percentage of them are smokers for more than 20 years? Hmm. Let's see. The way the numbers break down, and I don't have specific you know, lengths of smoking, but it, at, at diagnosis, 20% are currently smoking. 60%. Are former smokers, and CDC doesn't necessarily. We get those statistics from the Centers for Disease Control. They don't necessarily delve in to length of time. Um, so it's 20 are current, 60% are former, and 20% are never smokers. 20% are never smokers. Yes. That's extraordinary. Mhm. Wow. It looks like you have an event coming up on November 4th. Do you want to tell us about that? 
Sure. Um, November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and as a way to kind of kick that off and galvanize um, people across the country, Lung Cancer Alliance is hosting um, a national shine a light on lung cancer vigil, and we're encouraging volunteers across the country to host a candlelight vigil in their community. We have currently 55 vigils on the docket in 28 states, and it's simply a gathering of people who want to honor those impacted by the disease and and show um, compassion and support for the lung cancer community and raise awareness. Well, this is all good stuff. Uh, we are so happy to have you on the show, and I should talk into the mic there again. I'm pulling a Jack Buffard. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kay, this is great, and we should let people know again, and if Jack hasn't posted in the chat room, perhaps you can do that, lungcanceralliance.org. Yep. And that's where everybody should go. And uh, this is packed full of great information. So we're so happy that you joined us tonight, Kay, and come back and uh, come on our show again sometime. Yeah, uh, thank you all so much. Information. For, right, thank you very much and for addressing this, this topic. I do appreciate it. We all appreciate it, so thank you. And that's a great Italian last name. It is Italian, right? <laughs> Co Francesco? It is Italian, yes. It's fun, to, fun to say. Co Francesco. Yeah. Oh, wait, Kay, before you go, I have one last question. Yes. How awesome is it that we're not talking about breast cancer in October? <laughs> It's it's incredibly awesome, and I can tell you our advocates are going to be really psyched because they get irritated with how much pink um, they see this month. So. All right, we made a new fan. Well, it's funny because yeah. I was just thinking with their thing on November 4th, I was like, ooh, I was like, does pink try to creep into like that first week in November as well? Well, it creeps into September, so it might as well creep into November. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you take care of yourself. Good All luck right, and thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good night. Hey, Bye-bye. Francesco, org. All right, so let's uh, speak into the mic. Let's use this one. God, I love our good old ladies' music. Good stuff. Did you say old lady music or old 80s music? <laughs> 80s. Beth Stern um, is executive director of Longevity Foundation, dedicated to funding research into early detection and treatment of lung cancer. Longevity was named the fastest-growing charity in the U.S. by Charity Navigator, who will be on our show in two weeks. In the 10 years, Longevity has funded over $10 million of research at the world's best cancer institutions. Please welcome my friend and yours, Beth Stern. Hello, Beth. Hello. Good evening. I think this is an amazing, this is the greatest compliment. We have an advocacy group and then we have a research group together in collaboration in a pink month where we don't care about it. (laughs) Absolutely. And not only are we on the show together, but we work very closely with the Lung Cancer Alliance folks. They're really at the top of the policy and advocacy game. Um, So there's very nice compliments between the organizations. And and we're stoked. We're really stoked. Uh, you have a great team here who stalked me for probably six months uh, <laughs> to get you on the show, and kudos to them for doing that. Good, good. Well, thank you. And it is, um, I think it is a testament to you guys that you are shining the spotlight on this 
critical disease uh, in a month when we are surrounded by pink. I'll tell you, though, we gain a lot of inspiration from the breast cancer movement. Um, longevity is really modeling ourselves after the kind of work that grassroots advocacy across the country uh, can do with um, changing the mortality rates of a disease. And we've seen that with breast cancer, and that's exactly what longevity is about uh, right now, is about bringing tens of thousands of people together across the United States to, to um, change the tides of this disease. You wrote a good blog about that. I was just reading that this afternoon. Yep. That's, uh, it's, it's absolutely critical. And it's, it's young people, especially, I think, as we saw in the last presidential election with all of the technology that we have now uh, and the way that, you know, Kay talked about how young people are really mobilized. Um, you know, we're really seeing young people getting involved in the fight with us and really mobilizing these tens of thousands of people across the country. Can you um, I'm sorry, but can you take that out even more when you say modeling the, uh, yourself after the way that the breast cancer community has gone out there? Can you, can you sort of tease that out with more specifics? Sure, absolutely. If you look at where breast cancer was maybe 30 years ago, um, it was not as deeply stigmatized as lung cancer is with our connection to tobacco use. But it was stigmatized nonetheless. It was seen as a women's disease. Um, it was seen as a part of the body that was difficult to talk about. And what you saw about 30 years ago when um, the Susan G. Komen Foundation was founded is that a grassroots advocate population got mobilized, and they said, we're not going to take this anymore. Just because we're not having the conversations that we need to about breast cancer doesn't mean that, we are, that, that we're satisfied with the amount that we know about the disease and what we're able to do with it when we find it so that, you know, we can treat it and keep people alive. And it was that, that group of grassroots advocates, mostly women, um, who came together and raised their voices and said, no more, and really were able both to uh, mobilize a large population but also open up different areas of funding, specifically Department of Defense funding that went for breast cancer research that led to a real knowledge of the disease of breast cancer, of some of the causative factors, how to find it and how to treat it, that have now really resulted in an impact on mortality rates. And that's what we are all about. We're about finding it earlier, keeping people alive longer, and giving them a better quality of life. So we're looking at you know, how do we, we've got 50 different events across the country. They're all volunteer-initiated and implemented. How do we continue that movement across the country where we can raise our voices together and say we're not satisfied? We are the number one cancer killer. Fully 30% of cancer deaths are lung cancer, yet we receive about 4% of the National Cancer Institute's budget. That's not, that's not acceptable. And it's really up to us to change that. And I have a question here. I mean, I work very closely with a lot of the research institutions just because of my relationship with lots of oncology clinics and specifically Stand Up to Cancer. Um, I'm not, I don't know, do you have a relationship with Stand Up to Cancer? We don't. I think that they know that, we're, that we exist, but we don't work with them as closely as we do some of the other cancer advocacy groups. Right. The reason I ask is because I'm drinking their translational research Kool-Aid, and I'm curious to know if you guys have any specific opinions or stakes on I mean, the types of research that is out there, the balance between basic and translational, and where the lung cancer community is with respect to that. 
That's a great question. And one of our strategic initiatives at Longevity, where about strategic planning and implementation, has been to allocate a good deal of our research funding to translational medicine, to medicine that's actually going to affect patients now. Um, Unfortunately, the basic science tends to be sexier. It tends to be the things where people are making discoveries, they're getting published, um, it tends to get more of the attention, whereas the translational medicine, while it has a deeper impact on patients, tends not to be as tangible um, for people. So we don't hear about it as often. We do need to change the balance, and longevity is about that, about changing the balance between just basic research and research that's actually going to repurpose drugs that may be able to extend the life of lung cancer treatments, um, look at existing technologies that are maybe being used for other diseases or other cancers that can be applied to, to lung cancer, and shortening up that time period between the time that we really start to consider something in research and the time that it's actually going to impact patients positively. And again, I, I just that was the I couldn't ask for a better answer. I think that makes perfect sense. I, how familiar are you with genomics? And the reason I ask is because they're they're starting to now treat uh, young adults with medications, young adults with specific body part cancers, with medicines that work for other body part cancers. Like they're using Herceptin for colon cancer now in young men because the HER2 gene is showing up in more of the colon cancer, so it's not a breast cancer-specific gene. Do, do you think that there's a relationship between the genomics versus the body part, or is there a sort of encapsulation of lung cancer where it's just it's so complex a disease that it, they haven't quite figured out how it relates to all the other body parts? That's a great question. I think where we're moving is towards oncology as a, as a, a discipline as opposed to a site-specific uh, application. So I think what we're seeing now with genomics, with proteomics, which is the study of uh, the body's proteins and the roles that they play uh, in, in the development of cancer, is that there are more commonalities across different types of cancer. Um, so again, Avastin is another great example of a drug that's being used for uh, brain cancer and lung cancer and a number of different sites. Um, there's a lot more in common across these different site-specific cancers than we had once assumed. Um, what we're looking at, and this is going to be absolutely critical to, to young people, is who are the populations that are at risk? How do we use your individual genetic information to help identify, in addition to environmental factors like smoking, radon, asbestos, uh, air particulates, things like that, how do we also help use your individual chemistry so that we can start to screen people the way that we have with breast cancer with the HER2 gene and BRCA, how do we make sure that, that we can use this information? So I think what we are seeing is that um, that chemical information um, is going to be critical as far as diagnosis and also treatment. Um, we're all about finding it early and then treating it more effectively. They're very, very closely tied together. The most promising treatments in lung cancer, as with many other site-specific cancers, are targeted therapies that actually use your, your genes, uh, biomarkers, in your blood to be able to identify your cancer and then treat it specifically for you as an individual. Beth, you just touched on it, so you're going to get the question that everybody, everybody's getting tonight. Should you rip out your granite countertop 
What about radon? What about these environmental factors? That's another great question. And I think, you know, if you look at the way that we've tied different behaviors, different materials to disease through the years, I think that we need more information. Um, it will be, I think it will be very ironic, given I've got a, a granite countertop in my kitchen and have for, for decades, it would be very ironic if we do find that there is a direct correlation between radar, uh, radon and, and granite countertops. We don't know that yet, so I think it's too early to take that action. But again, if you look at the way that we have tied behavior and materials to disease through the years, there are a lot of different lifestyle changes that you could make you know, based on what our current beliefs are. I, I just I don't think we know scientifically that there's enough of a tie there yet. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, she's looking at me like, oh, I don't know. I, I know. I'm sorry, which was now. more definitive. No, no it's um, Yeah, no, it's tough. Yeah. It's, you know. Well, and that's, so, and that's the, other, the other really frustrating thing about lung cancer, because we're so drastically underfunded. We, you know, you asked um, Kay about cosmetics and, and other exposure levels. We don't know. We've not invested the money in research to figure out if the nail polish and lipstick and hair color and deodorants and perfumes and house cleaning products and, and pollution. We've already uh, lost things. our sponsors. You can name brands. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try and keep a few on board for you, so, so no brands. Um, but, you know, we, we just, the bottom line is that we just don't know. The stuff that we inhale, ingest, uh, get exposed to. We all live in cities. Um, you know, we don't. We don't know. We need a lot more money for research into lung cancer before we fully understand how we protect ourselves more fully. And looking at your website here, you just you've got some graphs that show federal funding and research dollars. Uh, breast cancer, obviously, being the highest. Prostate, colorectal, and then you can see the severe drop off there to lung cancer. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very stark, and again, I think that that you know, the the National Cancer Institute statistic, you know, the fact that we that we get four percent of that budget, you know, billions and billions of dollars specifically for research, specifically for cancer. This is the number one cancer killer. Um, I wanted to let you guys know too. We were founded by seven uh, people in the Chicago area ten years ago, and two of them were young women, never smokers little kids um, who um, one of them lost her battle before we ever had our first benefit. Um, so, you know, it's, it, there's, a, there's so much more that we need to understand about what we're exposed to because obviously there are things around us that are, that are making us susceptible to lung cancer that go far, far beyond tobacco use. And especially as women, um, there's, there's something going on uh, with our hormones, as Kay talked about, that's, um, that's making us even more susceptible. We need, we need research funding. One of the things about this show that I pride myself on is we like to piss people off, meaning not... But we not, won't piss you off, hopefully. No, 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 I don't mean you personally. <laughs> I'm I mean, always like we, pissed. I work we, for Lung <laughs> You belong in New York then. Yep. Well, you, she's Chicago, so it's close enough, right? Close enough. So we, we like to just make people really angry at, at stupid things that, they, they, that just should piss you off. And I, one thing I read on your site that I know will really anger everybody in the, sh- in the show listening tonight and on the podcast is that... You mentioned that of all the billions of dollars that Philip Morris and uh, R.J. Reynolds have been obligated to pay out over the, uh, the years, none, if, if barely any of that, actually helps lung cancer research. Is that correct? That's correct. Why That's is correct. that? 
Um, because it was not mandated, because those tobacco settlements, that one-time tobacco settlement, uh, was parsed out to the states and basically left to the states' discretion of how it was spent. Um, and so a lot of them have used it for infrastructure or, you know, now they're having economic crises and, and it just was not, none of it was, was mandated that it had to go to tobacco prevention, cessation, education, research, none of it. So we that don't see any of it. That is grotesquely disappointing. And how ironic would it be if they use some of that money to build granite countertops? How ironic would that be? Yeah, and or that, and that yeah. it would not surprise me. <laughs> it would not surprise me. But it does go to point out that it's truly up to us. You know, that it is, we're not getting it from the states, we're not getting it from the feds, we're not getting it from corporations, we're not getting coverage by Oprah. She's got, you know, uh, sponsorships, I think, that are probably, you know, precluding her from really taking a look at this. And this, I'm sure, will be a lawsuit that will be pressed on me shortly. But I, I think wouldn't that mind are, pissing her off. Yeah, I, I think we got to, that's the thing, is that... It, we need so much attention. We need so many resources. There are so many of us out there. I, I learned about the disease when I lost my aunt four and a half years ago, and I got butt pissed. And now mm. this is what I'm doing with my time is, is getting people mobilized. Everywhere that I go, when I'm in airports or anywhere else, I talk to people about what I do, and everybody's already affected by lung cancer. With these numbers, 215,000 new diagnoses every year, 30% of all, all cancer deaths, with these numbers, we are already affected by it. We need to take it upon ourselves to have these conversations, make these demands, get affiliated with, with organizations, because it is not coming from from the states, from those tobacco settlements, from the uh, NCI, from the CDC, none of the above. It's up does, to us. Does that 215,000 number include METS or is it primary only? That's primary only. Okay. Just curious. Because uh, so, uh, there's 1.4 million new cases a year. I believe that's the number they're using these days. It keeps going up and down every year. But, you know, so you're looking at is, – is that the number one cancer it's yeah. the number one cancer yes. killer. Killing, it is right. the most. It's the most fatal because of our numbers. It is. It has the highest mortality uh, and and the highest numbers in terms of deaths. We have 160,000 deaths every year um, from lung cancer. So our overall numbers um, are not biggest, but our the the mortality. Right. As Beth said before, so more women die of lung cancer than breast cancer. Yes. Almost twice as many. And, and get a, a quarter of the attention or a third of the attention. Yes. Right. But we're changing that. We, are, we really are. And I think it's through people like you guys um, where we are, we're seeing more of these conversations where uh, people are, are no longer silent about this disease. I can feel it. In the three and a half years that I've been running this organization, I can feel the change. I think we're on the precipice of something big. And that's where I would say to your audience, you know, get mobilized, do something, you know, get affiliated, go out and, and walk. We've got, um, it, again, because November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, we've got 30 different walks across the country between now and the end of November. We had about 20 before this date. But go on longevity.org slash events. Find an event. Get out there. I will tell you, I've been to so many of these events. It is so soothing, comforting, inspiring to get your arms around other people who have been through this experience who are saying, we are not going to take this anymore. We are raising our voices. We are making a change. I can feel it. It's, it's coming. So, yes, it's frustrating to see all the pink. Yes, it's frustrating to be underfunded. 
But you know what? We are not sitting still. And is it really just the, the, the stigma of smoking, tobacco companies overshadowed by breast cancer that is the cause rooted the underfunding? Anything else that we're missing here in terms of why so underfunded? Um, you know, I think lung cancer is a relatively new disease. Um, you know, it's a 20th century phenomenon um, because of uh, rolled cigarettes. I think that, um, you know, it's not something that's sort of been with us for very long. Um, and I think, truly, I do think that the stigma is the thing that really sets us apart. I think there are so many things to be scared of around us all the time that if there's one thing that we don't have to worry about, if we can say, okay, I don't smoke, therefore I'm not ever going to get lung cancer. You smoked, you got lung cancer, there's your mathematical equation. It's one more thing that we can insulate ourselves against. George um, Burns smoked every day, never got lung cancer, died 101 right. years old. Think God about, bless think that about, guy. Right. So think about the, the number of people who smoke who don't die of lung cancer. It, it goes so far beyond tobacco use. It really is about genetics. It really is about exposure. Um, it's about well, so many... Is, as you said, in women possibly. Correct? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We, and we need to know that so that we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're not assuming that if you smoke, you're going to get lung cancer, and if you don't smoke, you're not going to get lung cancer, that we're looking at it the way that we do other diseases. Heart disease is a great example. We don't ask people, you know, what they ate when they're diagnosed with, with lung cancer or if they exercised. You know, we, we look at it as a disease. It's something that we want to understand and we want to treat, and, and that's where we're getting with lung cancer. Um, I want to I congratulate you on the Charity Navigator Award. We're having Ken Berger on our show in two weeks, so I'll be sure to uh, to let him know. Head of Charity Navigator for the folks out there. But um, what was that like? Did it, A, did they tell you, or did you just like find out? We found out. We'd been on their top ten fastest-growing um, charities list for two years before we landed at the top. So, you know, I went on that site almost every day to look at the list because it's just so thrilling, um, and we were at the top of it. And um, and so um, they did notify us when we got our four-star rating for sound yeah. fiscal management, um, but the fastest growing we, we figured out on our own. Yeah, we like Charity Navigator. We're, we're big watchdogs here, and we always check out the groups that are on our show, and you guys, you guys are just fantastic. And I really love your website. Thank and, you. And uh, it, it's just so well designed. I, I mean, I design our website, so I'm looking really uh, – really with, with great scrutiny on other people's sites. But I think you have a phenomenal website. It's very well designed. And um, for, for those of you folks out there that, that haven't heard it spelled, longevity is spelled longevity, L-U-N-G-E-V-I-T-Y dot org. Right. And, and that um, website that was the result of a merger that we went through in June with another lung cancer organization, it was called Protect Your Lungs. They were out of uh, Washington, D.C. So we are all about working with other organizations. Um, we are very highly collaborative. Again, you heard about our relationship with Lung Cancer Alliance. Um, and we are all about the power that we all have together and consolidating that power together. So um, a really great organization. I'm, I'm obviously deeply biased. But, uh, but Longevity really is uh, an incredible, incredible organization. Well, Beth, it sounds like uh, once you got on board, you put them over the top. It has been a good. Navigator. It's been a good partnership. That really, it really has been an incredible three and a half years. Well, that's that's fantastic. We're thrilled to have you on the show. Great information. 
again, great site, Longevity, as Matt said, L-U-N-G-E-V-I-T-Y. Jack, did you throw that up in the chat room? .org. Sure did, and the event page. Excellent. Yeah. Come out and walk with us. Wait, what? That's like, that's like exercising or something, right? <laughs> yeah, but it, we keep it. We keep them very short. They're very family friendly. Friendly for people who who are fighting lung cancer. Um, it's really more about the community, and you can feel free to run if you get motivated. Well, great information. Yeah, thank you so much. We're really excited, and like I said, there's nothing like celebrating lung cancer during peak nausea. <laughs> yeah, you are. You guys are just amazing. You rock. So thanks for shining the light on us, and uh, and uh, happy Lung Cancer Awareness Month next month. You got it. Go we'll start early. Then. We'll start celebrating early. <laughs> yep. All right, Beth Stern from Longevity. Thank you, Beth. Good night, everyone. All right. All right. Good show. That was a good, good show. Death. Yeah. You know, you think stuff. it's October, it's pink nausea, and we just did a pancreatic show yeah. <laughs> and a, a lung cancer show. Next week is a pseudo breast cancer show, but it's more environmental conspiracy, but environmental fact, and we're very excited. We'll talk about that in the closing segments. But uh, good. And then we have the Don't Start a Charity show in two weeks. That's right. Which again, Dan Pilata and uh, are we charity sending a message about pink nausea by not acknowledging it? <laughs> Until the we, last we done, Do we look, really have to? No, we don't have to. If you don't have, know about pycnosia by now, then we do lot, you live we in have a rock. Two, we have two breast cancer survivors in the room, myself included. We yes. do lots on breast cancer, and uh, we don't have to have, talk that's about. All the, I have to say. We don't have to no, talk we, about the pink buckets of chicken and the pink porta potties and the pink garbage we've, trucks. We've done lots of that because you're going to see it a thousand times <laughs> just walking down the street. You're bombarded, bombarded. It's pink brooms. That's enough attention. We don't give any more attention. The other colors just need to jump in. Yeah. Purple for pancreas. What's no, no, teal is ovarian. Teal, is it? I, purple's pancreas. Is it? Yeah. Orange is no. cervical. I know that because of my friend, Tamika Felder. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, on my Facebook wall last week, I threw, um, our friend, um, oh, I'm going to blank on her name. I'm so bad with this. Beth, our no, close friend, huh? No, it wasn't Beth Cantor. It was um, Donna Tremel. And she she put something up on she writes for Politics Daily, and the Huffington Post. She put up something about the the hypocrisy of cancer colors and ribbons. So I put on my wall like, "What's your ribbon?" And it was like a link to this like ribbons are stupid article. No one read the article, but everyone put their favorite ribbon. And like fifty comments later, so apparently ribbons still mean something to people, and I, we respect that. I just think that once we're like she said, we're reaching a part uh, of uh, reaching a point where it's not about your body part anymore. It's not about your body part. I'll say that a third time. It's not about your body part. It's about the genomics of your cancer, where it lives, and what its commonalities are with your genetic makeup. And that is the future of cancer research, so saith the MZ. Papa Bear. Yes. <laughs> and he was very articulate. Congratulations. Yes, my Xanax kicked in. <laughs> He's not kidding, folks. No, I, I don't kid. I don't kid about my Xanax. i got to pull an all-nighter with my twins, so on that note. <laughs> All right, folks, thank you so much, and now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's tonight's show, our 
51st Broadcast 151. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. I'd like to thank our in-studio guests, Danny and Sunil, our live guests, Megan Rogers, Kate Cofrancesco, and Beth Stern. Next week's show is Breast Cancer in the Environment. In our Survivor Spotlight, Beth Arkey, young adult survivor of breast cancer, acclaimed journalist and blogger at Seventh Generation, returning champion Dr. Deborah Davis, founder of the Environmental Health Trust and the author of Disconnect, a new book about mobile phones and their impact on your health, and Dr. Harvey Karp, assistant professor of pediatrics at UCLA School of Medicine, the author of The Path of Wellness and Healing DVD and The Happiest Baby on the Block if you missed any of our past shows, subscribe to the iTunes podcast and download them all to your computer in one fail swoop at iTunes.i2y.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week live from the Chemo Dex, Jack Lufard, Lisa Bernhardt, Amanda Freeman, Captain Stupid, and I wish you all a great week. Go, Go to, to bed, bed, Amanda. Amanda. Get busy, baby.